This week I started a business. Yeah, I started a business. I'm now, uh, I am now a legit, in whatever way I could be as a, as a starter, uh, clam digger. So this, this winter I applied for a commercial clamming license in the town of Essex where we live, and I got that, and it took me about eight months to get started on that business. But I had my first day of clamming. Tuesday, I, I took the day off. And if you don't know anything about, you know, digging clams, Essex is like the center of the clam universe, although maybe Ipswich residents would argue that they are the center of that, but so we can have a fight afterwards. Um, and so uh, basically it just involves going out near low tide, and I bought a clam fork and a clam basket, and you just kind of start digging and finding clams. And the variety that I'm, that I'm after is soft-shelled clams. So if you've ever had a steamer, it's that type of clam. It's a very brittle shell. And so, you know, I, I kind of slogged my way through on Tuesday of trying to figure out, first of all, like where to go. And I was driving the boat around, like not sure. Like there's like 52 flats in Essex that you could access. The tide was a little bit higher that day. The low tide was only like, was like two and a half feet and so it wasn't, you know, going all the way down to zero. So there was a smaller window than normal of being able to dig because the way it works is, you know, the, the clam flats, when it's high tide, are not exposed. It just looks like it's just water. And so when the low tide comes, there's these sandbars that they call clam flats, and that's where the clams live. And so I was just driving the boat around trying to look, and all of a sudden, off in the distance, I saw a bunch of people. I, I saw their butts. Because when you're digging clams, you're, you're really just leaning over. And I saw these guys out there just digging clams. So I said, all right, there it is. I'll go over there. You know, and just join the, join the party. I pull the boat up and just start digging. And uh, it, it actually takes a decent amount of practice and skill to get good at it. And so uh, over the course of the day, I dug 75 pounds of clams. And most of the other people that were out there dug probably about 250 to 300 pounds of clams. Okay? In the same amount of time. And I, and I murdered, you know, probably half of the clams in the process. Because if you don't know what you're digging, you're, you know, you're, you're spearing through them. You're crushing the shells. You can't sell those. And, you know, one of the things about uh, clamming is you, you can only keep a clam that is, that is two inches or larger. So giant clam, great. You can pick that. But you can't take the small baby clams. And so... As, you know, if you're really good at this, you just can eyeball it and you can tell right away which clams you can keep. But I'm like measuring each, you know, clam because I'm like nervous, you know, I don't want to get pulled over by the clam warden, you know, and arrested for illegally harvesting clams. And so there's this, there's this kind of question of, you know, which clams am I going to keep? Which ones am I going to, am I going to hold? I'm always like measuring, looking and trying to figure out. And, and some of them, it's, it's really obvious, you see the clam, and it's this big, you know, and you go, well, that's over two inches. Others, it's, it's a tough call, and I really had to be careful to measure it to figure out, you know, is this one that I can keep? There had to be a sermon illustration out of that day. Right, Keith? I mean, Keith is like, there's got to be, so here it is, right? At least an introduction. A lot of times, that's what life is like. Some things, it's really obvious I'm holding on to this. This is a keeper. But I have to say, most of the clams were in this one and a half to two and a half inch range. It was pretty rare. I was getting like a three to four inch clam. And in life, I think a lot of times it's similar. 
A lot of the decisions that we make, a lot of the things in life that we need to decide, am I, am I going in this direction? Am I going over here? Am I holding on to this? Am I letting go of that? Are in that inch and a half to two and a half inch range where you go, I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm kind of sure, but I'm, I'm, I, I don't know. We started a series last week where we're going to be walking through the book of Hebrews. We're just, we're just tackling the big ones here at Antioch. We just did Romans, come on. Now we're just jumping into a nice easy book like Hebrews, okay? And I want to I just try to put us very briefly, I, I took an extended time last week to talk us through what life was for these readers. So it's written to Hebrews, it's written to the Jewish people, unknown author, and he's writing to them in this place of total turmoil, upheaval, lots of transition, lots of new decisions being made. Am I holding on to this? Am I letting go of that? Where, where are we going? What's happening? Because these are Jews. And so with the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one of God, their whole world's been turned upside down because, because their faith was the center of their entire world, their culture, language, everything. And that has now been, 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 been flipped on them. And they're experiencing persecution from the Romans. They're experiencing persecution from Jews that have not recognized Jesus as the Messiah. And in the midst of that, they're having to live their lives. They're raising children. They're, they're starting businesses. They're going to school. Right? They're, they're dealing with difficulties in a marriage. Uh, they're, they're caring for aging parents. They're, uh, they're, they're trying to figure out a job, right? I mean, all of these things are happening in their lives as they're faced with this, this total flip and even persecution on top of that. So as I said last week, there's a lot that we can relate to in this, in the story that they're going through. And know that probably for most of us, their life was, was more extreme than what we've experienced in terms of turmoil in this season and shaking and making decisions and things not feeling clear like you're in the mud, right? All right, I'll end with the clam analogies, okay? So I want to read this, we're in Hebrews chapter 2. And this is the context where we see this writing entering into. This, this incredible shaking and the, and, the, and the questioning of, do I hold on to this? Okay? Here's Hebrews 2, verse 1. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Here's the theme that we're going to see in this book. Jesus is the only hero. So hold on to him. Jesus is the only hero. There is no other hero that brings eternal life, salvation, 
freedom from darkness. And so the call is to hold on, to not let go, to not drift away. Now, this passage is talking about uh, punishment or judgment. Saying, hey, if, if we let go of Jesus, how will we escape a judgment when in this old relationship that you experienced, Jews, with this old covenant mediated through Moses, and as the writer of Hebrews talks about, and angels were involved in that. If there was judgment there, How much greater is the judgment if we let go of this greater revelation of the true nature and character of God and His ultimate act of forgiveness of sin through Jesus? Now, judgment's a difficult thing to talk about. Because oftentimes, especially in in our culture, uh, the question is, you know, how can how could God how can God judge? You know, how could he how can he punish? I don't know if you guys remember this, but last January, so January 2020, I had a, I had a dream, and I shared that dream, the, it was the first Sunday, I believe, of that year. One of the parts of the dream that I, I, didn't, I didn't talk about much was, uh, there was, there, at this one point, I, I saw uh, there was this, this impression that there was, I think it was like a seminary professor had received this incredible like revelation from God. And there was this uh, block of volumes, like books, you know, volumes of this, you know, what's the set called? A set of books that go together. Yeah, like an encyclopedia. There's probably a word for that that I don't know, okay? And all of these, there was just a ton of volumes, like, like I don't know, 10 or a dozen of them were, were about heaven. And then there was one at the end about hell. And, you know, I haven't, I haven't fully processed all of that with the Lord, but one, he, he brought that to my mind today for this, for this sermon. And one of the things that I sense is that God wants us to focus on heaven and leave hell to Him. Yes, there's things about hell in the Bible. Yes, it's, it's talking about judgment in this passage. There's also a lot of mystery in the Bible that surrounds these subjects. You know, do people have a chance after death? There's verses in the Bible that seem to say that there's, there, there is no chance for those who do not repent. There's also some mysterious verses that seem like there are. So, the, the thing that I sense the Lord wanted to impress upon you this morning and on me is that, hey, we need to hold on to Jesus and He wants our eyes to be fixed on the goodness of God and heaven. Because when we, when we know the goodness of God, we know that whatever happens in the next life, whatever judgment there is, it will be just. It will be fair. And there will be grace. Because that's who God is. And that's the picture of Jesus. That's who Jesus is. At the end of this section, you know, one of the things that I mentioned last week is In order to hold on to something, especially when things are difficult, as Annie just shared with us about her her story walking through this illness, the most powerful force in our brain is attachment. 
which means that we have bonded to someone. It's that feeling you feel with a family member or a close friend. It's what makes grief and, and death so difficult because no attachment is replaceable. They're all unique. And the author is talking about here is, is this message that was preached, right? So it's this truth that, that he received from those, this author received, he or she received from those who first heard Jesus. And then it talks about how God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now, why did God do that? The truth can stand alone, right? Truth is truth. When the apostles are preaching the message about Jesus and saying, hey, we saw this guy, we walked through him for three years, he was raised from the dead. I'm telling you, man, I knew Jesus, I saw him die, we put him in the tomb, he was dead. There was no life in that man. And then I saw him again. And there's 499 other people that saw him too. Ask any one of them. And are willing to put themselves into harm's way to express this. Who who are transformed people. Who have gone from timid, running away, deserting Jesus. And then now bold proclaimers who laugh when they're persecuted and beaten. Or just celebrate like they just left a party. This is, you know, part of, you know, uh, the case for Christ. If you've ever read these books, you know, of just this inc- there's an incredible wealth of like the truth of Jesus stands alone and, and, and the testimony of, of those who followed. Why does God follow it up and use the word confirm with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit? Guys, it's because we need to know the living Jesus. It's because even the way that God has wired us for relationship, we need an attachment with a person. And without that attachment to the person of Jesus, when hard things come, people fall away. The truth is important. But it's leading us to, it's pointing us to the person of Jesus who is alive now. And God is still confirming the testimony of the apostles in the word of God by signs and wonders and various miracles that you will know that Jesus is alive. Paul goes so far as to say, I believe it's in Romans uh, 15, that he preached the gospel fully wherever he went, and includes in that this same sentiment of demonstrating the power. He goes so far as to say, I do not preach with eloquent words, but by a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith will not rest in men, but in God. Because at the end of the day, it is not your connection to me as pastor or anyone else for that matter, that's going to enable you to hold on. It's your connection and your attachment 
to a person named Jesus. All right, let me read the rest of this passage. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. It's not saying Jesus wasn't perfect before that. It's, it's a word of completion. That Jesus walked the journey as a human being to its completion. He loved his disciples to the end. Okay? Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly I will sing your praises and again I will put my trust in him. And again he says, here I am and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. So that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered. When he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Amen. This is the hero. So he's going back from, this is the whole book. He's saying, here's the hero, chapter one. Hold on to him, beginning of chapter two. Here's the hero again. It's just the whole book is this. Here's the hero. It's Jesus. Jesus became like us in every way that we would become like him. He came to break the power of the devil who holds the power of death, right? And free those who are held in the fear of death. He tasted death, it says, for everyone. That he would bring us into this place of eternal resurrection, divine life, and connection with him. Now, in this season of COVID... Us comfortable, in many ways, Americans have come a little closer to death. You know, much of the majority world has had uh, a lot more experience with death than we have. You know, if you compare, what's it called, the age of death, you know, the, the average lifespan or whatever in a culture, you know, you look at countries in Africa, it's a lot lower than it is in America, and so for many of us, this is the place where, where, this, where the spirit of fear has come face to face with us and wants to consume us. Fear would love to dominate the rest of your life. Do 
Jesus has come so that we no longer have to fear death. I was talking through this with somebody on the phone this week, just kind of pastoral connection with someone, and they were sharing sentiments about this, just you know, struggling with fear. I'm sure all of, all of us, many of us, maybe not all of us, some of us have broken through that, you know, broke the back of that wicked spirit a long time ago. But for many of us, including myself, that's been a, a, a challenge. And it's amazing how the conversation will flip when all you do is say, Jesus, what are you wanting to say right now? And I just tell you, we got quiet, and the Lord started to speak to this person. And this person was rattling off what they were hearing. I mean, and I, I'm just sitting there like, that's great, because now I don't have to tell them, you know, because I don't might not know what to say. And as they're doing this, man, I am, I just want to tell you, I'm like encountering Jesus just because they're encountering him and sharing with me what's happening with Jesus in the room with them right now. This is what will enable us to hold on. More than ever, we have to do as Paul says, which is be led by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Fix our eyes on Jesus. That's, that's not just this like abstract idea of, oh, it's nice to think about Jesus. No, it's like sitting and going in your room and, and hearing from Him about the struggle you're having and Him teaching you this cool acronym about rest. If the gospel's true, then Jesus is alive. And we have lessened His presence Especially as Westerners, where we, where we just have made it about, I don't know, trying to do it ourselves. Or, or, or not recognizing that Jesus is in the room right here. He's sitting right next to you. He really meant it when he said, I am with you always. And do you notice in this passage that I, that I read, he talks about wanting to help those who are being tempted. Do you believe that? Because that makes all the difference in the world. When fear wants to dominate your mind and cause you to pick up some clams, sorry, that are less than two inches and put them in your basket because you're feeling afraid. Is Jesus there to help you in your time of need? To help you when you are tempted? You better believe he is. But we have to believe that and we've got to lean in and say, Jesus, help. It's as simple as that. He's there to help us in the crisis in the moment. And the more we lean into that, the easier it will be to hold on to King Jesus when it gets even harder. I'm not prophesying that. I'm just saying life is always this. It's never going to be, wee, Right? No more problems. Because have you ever noticed like once you like get over a problem, another one just comes up? Why is that? Because there's a greater thing that God is doing.
to use all of these things for those who love him and are called according to his purpose to work them out for your good. And what does that look like? You looking like Jesus. Jesus became like us in every way that we would become like him. The problems in your life are opportunities for you to look more like Jesus. And he's there to help you in every temptation with a way of escape. That's a promise from God. And his presence is more near than you realize. And just because you don't feel it doesn't mean he's not working. Just because you don't sense his presence doesn't mean that he is not there. Can you see every angel that's in this room right now? Is there an angel in this room right now? Yeah, there's probably like 200 of them. If you have two guardian angels like me. It's just what I suspect, okay? Guys, Jesus is a merciful and faithful high priest. It says he atoned for our sins. He's offered forgiveness. We're not focusing on our sins anymore. Jesus has left that. And he's calling us just to look away from that and go a different direction. That's what repentance is. It's a change of mind or a change of direction. Isn't it so interesting? Now, maybe, that's what I forgot. I knew I forgot something. I forgot the compass blessing. There's a line in there, right? Right? How does it go? He's not, he's not, uh, see, I can't say it unless I say the whole thing. He's not ashamed to be called our brother, something like that. That was from the Bible. I didn't just like make that up when I wrote that, okay? Oh, there you go. Jesus is proud to be your brother. It's right here. I read it. He's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. We are of the same family. See, that's what God is wanting, a family attachment and connection with you. He wants you to wake up to the reality that God has welcomed you into his family. And he's proud when he looks at you. There's there's pride that wells up in his heart. I was at a funeral on Friday, and a lot of different people shared um, just reflections on this, this man's life who passed a couple weeks ago. And the most touching one was his younger brother, who's now, you know, probably in his 50s, 60s, whatever. And one of the stories that he shared was about, you know, being this, this little guy in, like, his first day of school. And his brother was, I think, in fifth grade, he said, the man who, who passed. And his little brother who was sharing this was in first grade. And getting on the bus and his brother kind of standing up and saying, listen, you bullies, no one better mess my little brother. And here he is, you know, 50 some odd years later. And that, he's, he's, he's tearing up as he shares this one vignette of which there were many in his life. Of where his brother was not ashamed to say, hey, this is my brother. We're family. You'd better not mess with him. Guys, that's Jesus for you. That's Jesus for you. He is there to help you in your time of need. He became literally your brother. 
by taking on this crazy humanity and all the pain that this is and all the ups and downs, entering into that himself so that he could be next to you. That's why he did it. Because Jesus is the hero. There's this interesting part in the middle where it's talking about hum- humans. You know, kind of, he, you know, he made them, you know, lower than the angels and put everything under their feet. But, but yet, it's not like that's happened yet. And that's the journey that we're on right now. That's the journey that our world is on, is everything being put under the feet of the people of God and ultimately under the feet of Jesus. We actually read this verse last week. It comes from Psalm, now I'm going to forget. It's the most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And that's talking about Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father and all the enemies of this world being put under his feet. And in this passage, it's saying, and also under our feet. That as followers of Jesus, right, part of what we're doing in this world is putting the enemies of Jesus under his feet. Sex trafficking, injustice, sickness, disease, and the last one, Paul says, is death. Dead. Death will die. An eternal death. Jesus is the hero. The hope of the world is that the people of God will hold on to Jesus. If we do not hold on to him, there's no hope for this world. The life of Jesus, he wants to live it through you. He became like us so that we would become like him and put his enemies under our feet. So, last week we talked about what the most precious thing is that you could give to somebody. And that is your attention. And the way to hold on to Jesus is to pay attention. Pay Him attention. Pay Him attention. When you're stuck in that place, remember that Jesus is with you and welcome Him into the moment with you. It takes practice to do that because we often get in a hurry, we get caught up in things. And so that's kind of the journey of the Christian life is just remembering that Jesus is with me. That will renew our mind. It will challenge what we're believing. It will help our heart to connect to Him because when we pay attention to someone, especially looking eyes with someone, right? It it connects us to them. There's a bond. that's attachment that's formed. But Jesus today wants you to know that he's with you. He, has, he wants to help you along this journey. And he loves you. That's why I challenge you again this week. Pay attention to what Jesus is doing. Follow him along the path that he has for you. He wants to help you know which clams are two inches or greater and you need to hold on to them. It's holding on to Jesus that puts everything else in our life in order and helps us to know the path that he has for us. Let's have the worship team come back up. Now again, you know, I hope this is practical enough for you to leave with something today. Just to say it again, the thing that I'm saying will help you hold on to Jesus when it's tough, will help you navigate the way, will help you put the enemies of God under his feet That thing is just pausing and giving Jesus a chance. 
to enter into your story, to your moment, as many times as you can throughout the day. All right. Let's stand up. And there's a, there's a number of things that we sensed God was wanting to do this morning uh, as, we, as we minister to one another and to the Lord. Um, the first one I want to say is this. There's always a solution. There's always a solution. Because Jesus, I just want you to imagine if Jesus was in the room What do you say, sorry, can't help you with that problem? I mean, it's just a little too big for me. Come on. Whatever you're carrying today, whatever fear is wanting to bring up into your mind, maybe even in this moment, to make you feel afraid, to make you uncertain about the future, about your week, or whatever it is that you're facing, there's always a solution because Jesus is here. And He's alive and He's with you. Uh, Someone here today, you need to hear this one word, freedom. Jesus has freedom for for you. Someone else, uh, we had an impression, the prayer group this morning, that there was this sense of like, well, I've heard all this before, Brian. God wants to make it real to you today. Maybe it's a sign. Maybe it's a wonder. Maybe it's just an encounter with Jesus in your heart or it's hearing his voice for the first time. I had a strong sense that there's someone here with an ankle injury. Maybe it's your left ankle. If that's you, we want to pray for you. Uh, There was someone else. There's this loss from this past year and a half. And the encouragement was, forget what lies behind and focus on the present with Jesus. Um, Chronic fatigue. So Annie shared, and uh, um, Nancy, thank you, wants to pray with anyone else who is, is struggling with that this morning. Last one. Maybe you have soreness in your neck, you're sleeping the wrong way, or there's something with your neck, we want to pray for that. So if you've got any prayer needs, the prayer team can come up. There'll be a couple people up here you can pray with. Or you can just put your hand up right now. You don't even need to tell us what's going on in your life if you don't want to. And you can say, hey, please please stay six feet away or whatever you're comfortable with. But if you want prayer, please make your way up here. Or just put your hand up in the air right now so our prayer team can come and pray for you. Okay, there's one at the sound booth there. Anybody else? Give Jesus a chance, guys. Come on, give him a chance. Don't be afraid. Don't let fear win if, if it's you just have anxiety for you know people coming around you or not wanting to share something. All right. Hey, Jesus, thank you for being here with us. We need you. You're our hero. We exalt your name and we ask for the help that you want to bring to us right now in each of our lives. So Holy Spirit, come. Make Jesus real to us. Help us to sense his presence, to hear your voice, his voice, and the love of the Father that has been poured out into our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit.